Rachel Fisher and I'm interior designer Abigail Hall and we are delighted to welcome you to Everyday Design the podcast that thinks about the impact of design on your everyday life. Abby what have you been up to this month? Well it's January and I've attacked the new year in a design way. Excellent. By running off to Kensington Olympia which had top draw. It is a trade show for design, homeware, fashion, uh, giftware. I like to go to see what's happening in terms of trends. You know that I'm not big in terms of interior trends because I'm more about designing happiness into your life, creating things that resonate with you. But I think it is really good to know what's going on in the marketplace, to steer people either towards or away from things. Here are the headlines. Excellent. Rachel. I'm excited about the Tell headlines. You right now. Also kind of wondering where my invite was. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> always open invite, always. <laughs> You are an associate of my company. You're always <laughs> welcome to come to these trade Excellent. events. So what are the headline trends that we're going to be ignoring this year? So the headline trend, if you thought that tropical had reached peak, you are wrong. It, peak tropics has not yet come to its fruition. <laughs> oh God. And I spoke to various How people How much more foliage this. can one house take? Foliage. Um, what else have we got? Pineapples. Not seen the end of those yet. Flamingos palm trees we're all going to continue to see the thing about flamingos is that so growing up in austin there is a place and anybody who has been to austin will know on bee caves road there's a place that basically forever has just had like a flock of pink plastic flamingos it's a it's a garden design center oh well just now no absolutely kitsch absolutely tongue-in-cheek definitely knowingly but it's um yeah no whenever you go to this particular bit of austin you know that you're there by the flock of flamingos and does one buy one flamingo or do you have to buy multiple one feels that the flamingos would be lonely yes i mean they're used to living and do you put them in their yard see how i use the american term there well done thank you so uh, my sister who lives near there has put them in her back yard um, but she also has a penguin which perpetually sits on the diving board of her swimming pool. I like that. It's ironic because it's Texas. Texas. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, so, right. So we're thinking flamingos. We're thinking foliage. We're thinking pinks and greens. Yeah. Continue Not unlike the pharaoh and ball colors that we uh, have seen. However, about. if you want to know what is coming, oh. Africa is coming. So imagine the same aesthetic in terms of visuals of animals, mm. but in this instance it's going to be giraffes and elephants. The palette is going to be more yellows and greens. So that is the transition. We're going so from tropic from, yeah. to Africa. So more of a savanna palette. Exactly so. And you're going to start seeing a lot more in the way of comfortable natural materials. A lot of woven baskets, lots of um, raw linens. Again, safari sheep. And how would one, if one were so inclined, and if these things resonated with them, how, how would one integrate that into one's existing colour palette? Well, in terms of colour, you can either lean into it and mm. change everything to that colour palette. Actually, pattern's the easiest way of incorporating it in. Yep. So, it, adding in your cushions or curtains that have got the prints on, safari prints, be that a big animal print, mm. so big zebra prints, again, giraffe, or it, a lot of it is small scale animal print yeah. on a larger background, aprons, tea towels, cushions, rugs. Can I just ask a really genuine question? 
why should anyone do any of this if they're happy with what they've got? They absolutely shouldn't. It's fashion. It's no different from buying a rah-rah skirt when they're in vogue. If uh, doesn't... Rah-rah skirts are always in vogue? Sure, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, if it doesn't suit you and it doesn't resonate with you, why the hell would you? But there are fashionistas who follow it, and just like with interiors, you have the same thing. So this is one of the things that I find really, really weird about interior design, right? So I feel like the, the, the kind of opportunity costs, and the barriers to entry in terms of saying, I am going to redecorate my home in these new... Like, that's quite a significant step. And also, it's not as obvious to everyone, right? So so if I buy a rah-rah skirt, then everybody sees my rah-rah skirt, and they know that I'm on trend. Whereas, I have to invite a heck of a lot of people back to my house before they know how absolutely bang-on trend I am. However, likewise, wearing the most up-to-date pair of... And this is going to show my lack of fashion knowledge. Culottes. Culottes. Or the the Jimmy Choo biker boots that are absolutely this season. They probably aren't. I'm very so sorry, fashionistas, if you're listening. Um, whereas 90% of people you meet wouldn't notice them. But maybe it's the one person who mm. goes, oh my God, you've got that. Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for the reaction to the outside world? And this is what I talk about in terms of home. Yeah. You should be doing it for you. Um, but if you really do love natural materials, textured weaves, you will see a lot more of this coming through. And it was very, very, very homely. Mm. Not good for you because lots of wools, <gasps> lots of tweeds. No, yeah, I not know. since the allergy. I was, think, I was thinking of you. I'm I glad I didn't go because I just wouldn't have been able to touch anything. Yeah. Not so that's, that's what I've been doing. And I will be posting on our Instagram page. Excellent. Some I hope you took lots of photos. Took lots of photos. So I'll be taking, um, and I'll be also telling you who are the distributors. It is a trade show, so it's not always that you can buy directly from them. But if you find out who they are, really love it. You can go onto their website. You'll find out who distributes it. Amazing. What have you been doing? Um, so I had some time off over Christmas, oh, which delightful. I very rarely get. And I importantly had some time off where my children were at nursery and I was not at work. Oh, that, that's magical. And I spent three days reading Michelle Obama's autobiography, Becoming. You consumed it. I absolutely devoured it. And I cried uncontrollably and sometimes inexplicably throughout the entire book. So I've started reading it. Mm. Also got gifted it as a present. I, I was gifted two copies. I, I think it was two. unsurprising that the both of us got gifted this. To be fair. I was actually surprised I didn't get it twice. Perhaps <laughs> because I mentioned it on the podcast. <laughs> My friends and family, who, thank you for listening, um, kind of got together and said, well, yeah. one of us has to. Yeah. Which is it going to be? Tell me, which was the trigger? Um, who, w- w- sorry, oh, which was the trigger? What was if, the trigger? If I'm, literally, it was, it was from the beginning of the book where she's talking about growing up in Chicago through to kind of meeting Barack and um, understanding the work that he does as a um, as a community organizer and then through into the work that she was doing often behind the scenes and often unsung um, in in the White House uh, in terms of uh, healthy eating and the food program her mission, and her, and her mission role in terms of like lady. organic food yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I think there, there were a couple of moments where I was just, so one of the things that she did first out of the door um, from, gra- from uh, law school was she bought a Saab and anyone who knows me knows it's your favorite car that the Saab 900 is absolutely hands down hands down my favorite car it is also the architect's car but it is absolutely my favorite car I love this car and I just thought oh my god we have something in common <laughs> but also also I think just the way in which she talked about the importance of mission and purpose and and making a wider impact on the world and 
And to a certain extent, I felt like she really underplayed her own career achievements. Yes. Despite so, the fact that, you know, d- despite the fact that she was sort of saying, you know, I'm coming into this role as a professional woman. Um, I'm suddenly subsumed by my husband's ambition and my husband's potential. Um, and the, the work that she has done is absolutely... I mean, she hasn't been president of the United States, but the work that she was doing up until the point that Barack becomes a senator... She was in a track. She was in a track she was, could have led could have, But interestingly, she doesn't, she, she doesn't love politics, and she's very, very clear about how she doesn't love politics. But one of the things that really stuck with me and that I think about quite a lot in my work, um, and my work as, as kind of an, an, an urban planner and an urban developer, is this idea that she talks about the, the first time she goes to see him at a um, community organizing meeting. And he's talking about the work of changing a neighborhood, the work of bringing everyone with you, the work of raising all of, you know, everyone's ambitions and everybody's aspirations through community development. And she talks about how she reflects on how as a, as a, as a woman growing up and, you know, growing up in the south side of Chicago, which interestingly is where my grandpa grew up. Oh really? Now, what when was he there? Because so she my, talked about how that neighborhood changed. So he's turning ninety this year. So she, oh, well. w- so he will have been there when her parents were yes. young, when it was a very mixed community. You know, he's a very. Um, There's the photographs of her school year where it is a mix, and then five so years my, later. Yeah. yeah. So my grandpa is, um, you know, so my grandpa's ninety. He's the son of German first generation German immigrants, um, and and he really um, kind of grew up in this in this kind of very much more mixed period on the south side of Chicago. But, but she talks about how she grew up and she got on and the whole thing was about what you can do and what you can achieve. And that becoming unstuck from a kind of downward spiral um, within, a, within an economic sense, um, becoming unstuck as an individual is very, very different than getting a place unstuck. And that's the thing that I, w- that I really took home was this idea of, okay, well, how do we unstick places? How do we ensure that places don't change and don't kind of continue declining yes and so we come to my favorite thing good design bad design i've got a really good one excellent i'm excited tell me as it was one of those lovely moments that i i've been wandering around top drawer the thing i this month i and i happened to pause by a stand while i was looking at the show guide because i was looking to go to a different element and a lady came up to me because it's a trade show and that's yeah, what she yeah. said, oh, you know, let me chat to you about my product. And I thought, oh, you know, fair enough. I am here for that. And she was with a, a stand that was Cedar, which I'm, I hope I get this right. I think it's the South African Economic Development Agency. Mm-hmm. And she was wanted to particularly talk to me about these lights that she had. And I glanced at them and I said, oh, yes, yes. Said, well, you know, of course I know these lights. They're, they're mud ball chandeliers. So if I describe to okay. you a bag chandelier... The traditional yes. style of a French bag chandelier. We will post some photos on Instagram. Good, I have so you no know mental image of this. Um, and what happens is you, you get little clay balls, clay okay. beads, yep. if you will, instead yep. of them being crystal beads. Oh, interesting. And they're beautiful. And when I was working... Are they? Because it sounds like they're made of mud. Let me post some photos. I'm doing All a right. very poor job articulating it. When I was working in Mauritius doing lots of clients' houses... Yeah. Um, I this was an aesthetic that was very pleasing because the you have the shape of something that is quite dramatic, especially the scale of them. And they traditional, have, presumably. Traditional, traditional in terms of the sh- yes, traditional in terms of the shape, but then contemporary in terms of this material. Interesting. And I had seen various iterations of it, including the original 
which I'll talk about in a moment, is a charity project which takes Soweto women who do this, 150 women employed to make these um, mud clay beads themselves. Amazing. Paid piecemeal. These are women who wouldn't have got work elsewhere, hadn't got income coming into the house, all the phenomenal aspects of that. And then I saw it copied in various situations in Australia, in America, in South Africa. You go to Wayland's. Wayland's is a, it's the habitat of South Africa. Right. And they've got a version of it and they use uh, timber beads painted instead. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I've seen her chandelier and I've kind of gone like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I saw your stuff five years ago. You just, you just copied yeah, it. Yeah. And she said, no, we've never had a UK distributor. This is the original mud clay chandelier made by and then she produced the, the photos of the women, women. yeah and I, said, I cannot believe it because i know of your product i investigated it and bought it for a client five years previously amazing and it got me thinking about design that is copied and how easy it is to get something that's zeitgeist you see it in a magazine you see that it's an 1100 quid chandelier and you think oh beautiful but that's really blinking expensive and then you buy and then the you thing pop, that's yeah, 50 quid you go on to ebay you go on to and, and actually what's sad about it is they're not 50 quid they're 700 or 800 pounds but none of that money is going into the pocket of someone who's actually doing good so it really got me thinking about good sign bad sign why buy something that is from the original artisan the original craft person and the reason is because you are investing in them. You're investing in their values. You're investing in their productivity, their creativity. And bad design, actually, I'm guilty of it. I've bought the fake in the past. And I say the word fake advisedly. Mm. I'm not talking about necessarily the rip-off cartel chair or whatever it might be. Um, this is... this. Full is, disclosure, I, I have a fake Eames. And we... I'm going to talk about this off the podcast. (laughs) If it's it's in any use, I I regret its purchase. And I now am looking to purchase a... Because it's broken about five times. And I'm now looking... Because it's not original, hasn't got the value and the quality. And I'm now looking to purchase a new brackets, vintage actual, not Eames, but other chair. Which has got intrinsic design value and authenticity and quality and it's no, created... No, and for me, it's not about the intrinsic authenticity. It's about the intrinsic quality and the design and, and the build quality. Because what I found with my fake Eames is an excellent fake Eames and it was not a cheap purchase. They, they are, that's what I mean by it. And I feel like... Quid, it, but it, this, for me, this is, this is false economy. It is, and it's also to just... It's pretty, so I'll buy it, but I'm bored of it. I think there is something about investing your mental time in saying, why do I like this? Now I know the backstory. Is it worth the sacrifice? Yeah. I understand there is a difference between an £800 item and a... I mean, I've I've got some of the prices here. They do go up to the 1500 quid plus shipping. These are not cheap items, but my God, if you love it, you resonate with it, you want to have it... It's doing good. And, I mean, this sounds incredibly crass. But I've been thinking a lot about the things that I buy that are worthy, right? So I've recently been doing a lot of meal kit delivery services yeah, because I'm a, I'm a working parent yeah. and I, you know, 
I love food. I love recipes. I love trying new things. What I don't love is the hassle of having to really, really properly think about it. So meal kit delivery services have been interesting. I've tried two. Um, I've really enjoyed both, actually. The second one, interestingly, so it's £10 a week more expensive okay. than the previous one. I'm not going to use names. Oh, I was, I was going to ask for a recommendation, but let's get to the end of it, yes. Um, it's £10 a week more expensive than the one I was using. However, they have a every meal I buy, they donate a meal to okay. a school. Yes, I know exactly where you're going with this. And I just yeah. and 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 I was um, and I was talking to my husband, and I was sort of like, so this we're paying forty five pounds a month. He was just we're we're doing what we're paying forty five pounds a week, and he was like, we're doing what now for four meals? What now? And because they're largely vegetarian for vegetables, and I said, look. I hear what you're saying, but on the other hand, that extra, so I would, I would easily pay that extra 10 pounds a week brackets, you know, 50 pounds a month, whatever into charity, but I'm doing this and it's, and it, so, so I'm doing it in one hit effectively. So I'm buying stuff that is good for me and also good for other people. Now, and whether, whether you are post rationalizing something that you want to do I anyway, may be doing or if it adds value because not only are you making your lovely meal that fulfills all the requirements that you have, but also you have that added... Um, I feel like I'm doing a good thing. Yeah, I'm supporting, so I'm supporting lo- So I'm supporting local farmers. I'm supporting local suppliers. I'm also supporting local charities. Like I feel like that is a good trade-off for £10 a week. And that means that you're going to, in this instance, in the case of a service or in the case of a product, yeah. you're going to... It's longevity of enjoyment is expanded. You also become an ambassador for yes. it. You're talking about it right now. And I'll just be clear. So so basically, I was using one of the very popular ones that you can see. Advertised on two trains. Two trains. And Actually, and, and, and the one that I'm talking about is Mindful Chef. So I think Mindful Chef is an absolute, and we're not sponsored in any way by this, no way. but I think Mindful Chef is an absolutely fantastic service, both in terms of what they're trying to do around changing food culture but also what they're trying to do in terms of donating to charity and and you know one feeds two it's amazing and we all want to be a little bit better in what we do i say we all want to be apart from the crazy narcissists and you know sociopaths um and so good sign bad sign i'm gonna say it one more time i understand the desire Mm. to buy something that's cheaper i've been there but it's I don't believe that that investment is going anywhere good. I believe our power to purchase and consume good design that has an intrinsic background is one of the greatest strengths that we have. Purchasing power is incredibly important. Phenomenal. And I am going to be championing this company. So it's through Cedar, but the company is called Hello. Three O's are obviously post all this information. I would love for people to see this handling. And if there's any retailers out there, because they are looking for a UK distributor, this is not available in the so UK. So is this not something I just walk into heels and buy? No, no. And if you can, it's the copy. Right. It's not the original. Then, don't get me on, not say that there's other people not making, yeah, yeah, yeah. lovely ladies making clay balls, but this is the company. So it's interesting. My, um, my great-grandmother started one of the first fair trade companies in the world. Great. I would love her. She, she, I, I never met her. Um, Edna Ruth Byler started um, an organization called um, Self Help Crafts, which became um, something called Ten Thousand Villages. And so, what happened was, my my great grandfather was traveling around the world um, with the Mennonite Central Committee, 
and they wind up in Palestine. And he's talking to the men about various things. Yeah. She's in the kitchen talking to the women. The women are like, so we've been making this lace. And she's just, like, just because. Yeah, well, well, it's just, well, they're, t- just, they're just having a chat yes. about stuff. And they're like, oh, well, we've been doing this this stuff. Do you like it? And she's like, oh, yeah, I do. And, she's, and she said, you know what? I'll take it back to the States. I'll sell it to my friends and I will send you the money. Fabulous. And she starts doing this. And she basically creates an entire business out of the trunk of her car. The boot for British people. So she starts this entire business out of the boot of her car, um, selling handcrafts from women from around the world, which is now a significant organization called Ten Thousand Villages. How amazing! And she and she just saw this opportunity, and she thought, you know what? I can. I these women in these other countries that she's privileged enough to go to. She said, these, these women are making these amazing handcrafts. I can sell them. And her original title, so 10,000 Villages is nice, but I think the idea of the, what she was calling the self-help crafts. So this idea that you may be living in a country where you are living in what we in America would consider to be poverty or whatever, but like actually you can help yourself. Yes. You can support yourself you have, through you the work the, that you're the doing. the materials and the skill set, and that has a commercial value. And the creativity. Yes. And the ability. And this isn't charity. To be clear, I'm not talking about making a choice between something that's ever so swanky and available in Harrods and something that's a bit artisan and frankly a bit crap and looks like yeah you know kind of you could make it yourself if you've got a bit of mud in the garden these are these are beautifully created items absolutely and 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 I you know and my my mother uh, um still volunteers at the 10,000 villages shop in Austin where I'm from well, we need to look at if that's in the UK. We need to. We do not have a ten thousand villages in the UK. Well, okay, we're bringing the chandeliers here, and we're bringing ten thousand villages here. Yeah. Um. On that note, what's your good design? Okay, good so mine design? is like really, really not as um. So so mine 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 this month is again n- not quite as worthy. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about watches and clocks. I love a clock. I love a clock. Um, we own more clocks than is entirely reasonable. How many household. is entirely reasonable, though? I would say one per, one room. per room. One per one room. room. What? So in our plus, kitchen, plus one. One per room plus one. Yeah, you gotta have a buff. You gotta have the buffer, the extra one. I mean, the thing is that if you have a husband like mine, uh, they get really neurotic about making sure they're all telling exactly the same uh, time. Yeah. And then the clock change. <laughs> That's a fun day, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's not a it's not a good time in the in the Bagshaw Fisher household. So anywho, um, so I've been struck by this issue of clocks recently because my children um, have been playing this game where they're going to the moon and the moon is this large clock that we bought at Ikea um, completely randomly. So it's a large, white, very large white clock with absolutely no numbers on it. We're going to post a photo to show everyone how I will post is, a photo so. of the moon and the yeah. spaceship that my children pretend that they are in when they are going to the moon. It has hands, to be clear. So it has hands, but it has no letter. Uh, yes, numbers. it's just a big white expanse. Absolutely. So my so my son points at this thing and says, "We're going to the moon." And I said, "Well, it's 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 also a clock." It's a clock. And he looks at me and says, "But it doesn't have any numbers on it. How does anyone tell the time?" It's a good question. He's three and a half. Yes. Tell and me, Rachel, how does anyone tell the time? No one knows. It is fundamentally <laughs> impossible. It is a myth. Is it some kind of, I don't know, witchcraft? One might say. <laughs> Basically, we, I... Sorry, listeners, we found out today that <laughs> Rachel 
one of the most intelligent people that I know, without the aid of five minute increments on a clock face. I need all of the numbers. To be clear, all of them. She's unable to tell what time it is. So therefore, my good design, clocks and watches that have all of the numbers. Preferably then also with minute markers. Does it need to be numbers or can it just demarcate the it five minute increments? It can just demarcate increments? the five minute okay, increments. Okay, cool. That you is legitimate. I am willing to accept five minute increments. But if something is 7.25, I defy anyone to know what time that is on a clock face that has fewer than, I'm going to say, all of the numbers. <laughs> like, so about 10 years ago, I was in the market for a new watch. And I went to the watch shop, as one does, and my husband and the lady selling me watches convinced me that I could buy a watch that only had four, you know, the, yeah, the, 12, the, the yeah, 12, the 6, three, the 3, six, and the nine, yeah. shorts, and 9, whatever. No one knows. Okay, but, I mean, it's literally on there, but okay. okay I, you can, should continue. And Listeners, they, I'm being glared at. They convinced me that I would, in time... In time, an, oh, unspecified, an, oh, un- an unspecified amount of time. Because you can't control it. Indeed. I would be able to be to tell the time without all of the numbers. This was untrue. Three years later, I was late for trains. I was late for work. I once didn't get a job because I was late for a job interview. Anyway, I now have a watch that has all of the numbers. Well, no, just demarcators. Yeah. It doesn't have any numbers on it. I'm not an animal. I have actually a really lovely Thamondan Helvetica watch, yes. which I think is just a fantastic watch, which my husband bought for me four years ago for my birthday. And he gave it to me. He was like, is it okay? Does it, does it have enough numbers? <laughs> because he knows you. now I love you. that good design is watches on which you can tell the time. Bad design. Bad design is watches where no one can tell the time and costs you jobs. Or perhaps... No. Good no, I will not even listen to this. It's knowing yourself and knowing what you <laughs> need. I hate to be the voice of reason here. All of the numbers. All of the numbers. I need all of the numbers. Okay. So that is my good design, bad but design. is moon clock staying? A moon clock is staying because... It's moon. Well, it's moon. A, it's moon, and B, there's a clock with all of the numbers in the living room, and then a digital clock in the kitchen, and a clock with all of the numbers in the kitchen also, and I have my watch and my phone. So, I do know what time it is. I could put stickers on moon, moon clock, clock is largely decorative. You. Please don't touch moon clock. Okay, I won't touch moon clock. They could be like craters? No. No, okay. I think we should go on to our main topic. I'm excited. It's movies. No! <laughs> because, let's face it, we've uh, stayed in. That has, well, I'm assuming everybody has been staying in. It is January. There was two weeks of lying on the sofa watching movies um, over Christmas. And then, frankly, none of us have really wanted to move on from that, have we? Can't afford to either. There is also the horror that is January finances. Amen. Now, Tell me about your movies. Well, I have spoken about movies we before on the podcast. And anyone who is a regular listener will know my love of Ang Lee and Wes Anderson is well publicised because of colours, palettes, consideration. Oh, Ang Lee's sense and sensibility. Oh, oh, don't, oh, don't. So, so many. So many. Where do I stop? Uh, but actually... The I'm, Hulk. You could start with The Hulk. Okay, n- not watched it, so not going to comment. <laughs> um, the most awkward Ang Lee film. Yes. Thank you for just giving me that curveball. I'm actually going to talk about two kinds of movies and then right at the end I'm going to throw in a third as a recommendation. Ooh. The two kinds of movies I'm going to talk about are period movies, which are inspiration to go to absolutely freaking amazing country houses and pretend you are also off of 
Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, um, Atonement, which actually is mostly set in um, France. Is it? Yes. Okay, so I've never seen, I've neither seen nor read it. Okay. We... Listeners, I am being stared at agog. Yes, we, we're going to remedy that. Um, Remains of the Day. These are movies that just, well, first of all, often, technically, they're not correct. They're not all filmed in one property. They're, the exteriors are often completely different buildings from the interiors. I'm, I'm not a pedant. I'm not going to get obsessed you by You really it. are a pedant, though, and yeah. that's fine. That's why we love you. Yeah, I kind of am, because I go there and go, well, I think I'll find the drawing room shown in that movie isn't the same as the exterior shot. It, it does not correspond to the kitchen. Yes, I've also been known to, to Wikipedia check the, uh, the locations that they're filmed at in order to go and see the properties after I've watched the movie. I, I, I That's should adorable get adorable and I feel like we should all move on. I should get out more. So, once, and I'm also, I'm going to throw in Downton Abbey. I know it's not a movie. I love Hightower Castle. I'm going to stop there. Second kind of one I want to talk about is It's Naff, Don't Hate Me, Go With Me. The I'm Da Vinci coming. Code. I read that book in one sitting on a train. I was on my way to a conference. It's fast reading. Listen, no one is going to say that it's that I way. literally skipped half the conference in order to finish the book. Because it is a page turner. Because it's a page turner. Have you seen the movies? I saw the first one. So we've got Florence, we've got Rome, and then we've got Washington. Those are the Excellent. headline places that you go to. Da Vinci Code, whatever you think about it, and we all know a thousand people have read the books because it's incredibly like, popular. Um, and the rest. A thousand okay some people people have read the books infinitely more than people have read my book that's all I know tell me more yeah so the thing that's amazing about these films is that they they suck you into a detail you go oh god I never would have noticed oh 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 do you know what it's like print side note because my favourite movie for this what it does is it talks about architecture and then it talks about symbology within architecture yeah and We've all been to a lot of these places. You've been to Florence relatively recently. Yes, I have. Been to Rome, been to Washington. Yes. A lot of us will have gone yes. to these these buildings, these places, the palazzos, the squares, and not necessarily picked up on a particular detail. Tell yes. me, tell oh. me that the film isn't good because it encourages you next time you go there to go. You know, what? I never would have noticed that. What I so so you're right. You, I mean, I hate to admit this particularly about this film but you are right so there is something about these kinds of things that they suck you in they do indiana jones and the last crusade so the entire right. thing in venice with the x marks the spot and we're out in front of this like church oh, that turns into a library yes it's a real place and then you've got all of these like under the surface things that you didn't know were happening and they're all of course then it, it fuels the imagination because are there catacombs under there is that where the Knights Templar and But also, rest? like, yeah, and, and, and all this kind of, like, slight pseudo-conspiracy theory stuff, and then you go to places like Venice, or you go to places like Paris, And like, you do go, ooh. Da Vinci Code. Ooh, Da Vinci Code. I, I am in the middle of an international mystery thriller. Exactly. And you see the rose line. The yeah. rose line that runs through France. I'd not paid attention. The Saint Roots, there's so much there. It makes you pay attention. I'm not extolling the virtues of the movie. This is not a movie review podcast. But... It is a design review podcast. It is a design review podcast. And before I come on to my last one, because I feel I have dominated this, please tell me about what you love. And you're going to have to bring some credibility to the movies, because I've given you... 
Downton Abbey. Oh, I said remains of the day. I've got to keep me well, yeah, I mean, the, the Da Vinci Code. Any Merchant you know. Ivory basically balances out the Da Vinci Code. Um, so, so the thing for me is that I grew up in Austin. I grew up in a in a very normal to me because I grew up there. Although keep Austin weird is actually our slogan. Um, town. I love that. Um, I really wanted to move to New York. I wanted to move to New York from the age of about five. From the age of five, it was because of Sesame Street. And all of Sesame Street is basically set on a block in New York with okay. the brownstones. Okay, yeah. Right? I guess so. So I wanted but, to I mean, it's in a, in a studio, but a studio but it's version. A, but it's a studio. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, the children's television workshop, the studio, yeah. is effectively just a block of brownstones yeah. where you've got... Big Bird, Bird and, Bird and yeah. Cookie Monster and all these people. Anyway, so I so so this kind of idea of this like urban childhood that wasn't my childhood, but was a childhood that I kind of thought, ooh, that's interesting. And that's what New York represented to you. You thought there's these then, happy, fabulous it, people. But, well, and then it got more. So then when I was about nine or ten, um, when Harry Met Sally came out. Yes. And it was, oh my I'm, God. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I think I was too young, probably, to go see it when it came out. But I did. I went to go see it with my mom. And I just fell in love with New York. I absolutely, 100% fell in love with New York. Now, When Harry Met Sally is written by Nora Ephron, who is one of the most incredible, incredible writers. Well, she's, A, prolific in what she's written, but she articulates so well a space. And geography is such a big part of her stories. Indeed. Um, so it's written by Nora Ephron. It's directed by her very, very good friend, Rob Briner. And fun fact, um, my, uh, boyfriend at university, uh, in New York, <laughs> uh, my boyfriend at university was really good friends with Nora Ephron's son. Oh my God. So Max Bernstein, also the son of Nora Ephron yeah. and Carl Bernstein, Carl Bernstein broke the Watergate yeah. case. Yeah. Anyway, um, I remember the night. I so, God, I so remember the night in the West, in, so in the village, not far away from where, uh, from Washington Square Park and yes. the arch where Harry drops, sorry, where Sally drops off Harry when they first moved to New York. Obviously, keen listeners yes. will be aware of this. Obviously. Yes. Obviously. Anyway, so, so literally, I'm going to say two blocks away from there, I'm sitting in a dorm room having a conversation with Max in which I v- discover that Max's mother is Nora Ephron. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> and I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm sorry what now your mother basically has dictated my entire series of life choices did you kind of kind of fangirl out at that point or did you no I completely fa- no I completely I mean I was I was 18 I lost it completely then a couple of years later uh, Max was in this uh, ill-fated uh, band called Shelf Life um, ironic it was ironic at the time and subsequently um, I went to a shelf life gig and she was there <gasps> and I lit and I was just like, hi. I don't, I can't believe you haven't told me the story. I, I, I can't believe that. <laughs> I, I, sorry. So, so I was like, hi. And, and she was like pleasant to me cause I was the friend of her son. son yeah. And, and then Carl Bernstein, as it happens, was also there, which is also, so, so if you imagine the, the coming together of my two favorite things film and politics i literally i just i i'm not sure that i i i I remember very few things about that night other than the fact that i met Nora efron and i met carl bernstein 
who are not speaking to each other, and anyone who's watched Heartburn knows why. Um, and it's so New York. And it was so Such New York. Such a New York story. Well, to quote when you hear about Sally, City of 9 million people, you're bound to run into your ex-wife. <laughs> so, I, so, so, so watching these films made me want to live in New York. It made me want to go there. Inspired I mean, the, the movie that I think Nora Ephron is best known for in terms of being a love story about New York is You've Got Mail, yes. which was being filmed while I was at university and basically being grumpy about how Max, uh, about how you know, Max hadn't sorted it for me to be an extra in the film. Anyway, um, which he didn't and still grumpy. Um, so You've Got Mail was entirely set on the Upper West Side. And when I feel really homesick for New York or for college or for that period of my life, I watch You've Got Mail, which I don't think is a great film. I don't think it's one of her better films. Um, and the thing about You've Got Mail is that it's it's a it's a lovely story, but at the same time, it's basically about a man tricking a woman into falling in love with him despite the fact that he's entirely ruining her professional life. Yes. Awkward. Awkward. Right? And, and Awkward. Hashtag. Awkward. So, but at the same time, it's this thing that I can look at and I recognize all of the shops that they, not the shop around the corner because that was fake, but I can recognize all of the shops on Amsterdam Avenue that they are highlighting. Nostalgia. And it makes me feel at home. Yeah. And nostalgia, obviously, uh, the, the word for the, the pain of homecoming. Yes. Um, and then the other thing I often think about um, in terms of design and in terms of movies, this is going to be a bit left field. After I, you've I, got mail and the coziness of the Nora Ephron oeuvre. You also did tell me that after my Da Vinci Code and <laughs> Downton Abbey, you were going to up the ante, and I'm not quite sure that we Priscilla, are. Queen of the Desert. Oh, I applaud you. Well done, madam. Yes. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which I recently rewatched, and I have to say... And now, it's, it started out, it was a proper... I don't know how much it made at the cinema, but it was an art house film, and it was quite left field, but it became... An absolute cult classic. And then completely, you know, copied with Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Which I actually love. I, I was hard I not to love. I, I know it was a copy. I it know it was a copy. It is impossible not to love a film that has Wesley Snipes in a dress. And so well. And Patrick Swayze. In a dress. In a dress. And, and John Leguizamo, who frankly looks amazing. Better than me, actually. That's not yeah, no, that's, that's, his legs are. No, but say back to Priscilla. Priscilla, this incredible film set against the epic Australian outback, mm. you know, and the terrain, and the, that geography. the terrain and the geography, and then the, and the, and then it's and it's obvious now, but the sort of disconcerting thing of these incredible dresses, these incredible frocks, layers the, and layers of fabric just flowing. Fun fact. I had never heard of ABBA before that film. Really? ABBA oh, is not an American It's thing. not a thing. We just, no. I'd never heard of ABBA before that movie. This will, no, I can't tell you. I was going to tell you something about what was number one when I was born, but it'll tell everyone how old I no, am. No, you have to tell me. I'll tell you off, off recording. But suffice it to say, there was an ABBA track that was number one when I was born, so it has been in my life for as long as I have been alive. Mamma mia. Here I go again. <laughs> And, but no, Priscilla Queen says it. And, and so I guess this is the thing for me about it was a films and, well, so I guess this yeah. is the thing about me and films and design. F 
films naturally transport you to different places. Design is part of how you can kind of capture that and take yes. it home with you. Yes. And where does your inspiration come from, if not what you're exposed to? And I think, you know, film obviously is one of those things that takes you to somewhere else and, and makes you think differently. So I remember my favorite film when I was six was Out of Africa. No idea why. I, I don't know, like young Robert Redford, maybe. I, so uh, my favorite Karen film... Blitzen, the story, I'm well aware. Yeah. Yes. So my favorite film was Out of Africa when I was a child. And that and Annie. But anyway, also New York. <laughs> so... Redhead child? I was. I was very blonde. So, um, so yeah, so, so Out of Africa was like my favorite film. And I really took that kind of... Um, I don't know, colonial chic mm -hmm. thing yeah, to heart. Yeah, absolutely so. So, you know, the idea of having the, um, the, 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 the netting around your bed. Yeah, the mosquito nets, the plantation shutters. All of that stuff was something that I the very... That, yeah. That actually are zeitgeist right now. And that was something that as a six-year-old, I was like, mummy, can I... Well, not mummy, because I was American. Mommy, can I have a mosquito netting around my bed? And I did. We love movies. There's one more I'm going to mention. I'm oh. going to say one thing about it because I want you to watch it. Oh, God. I'm going to start with the things that are bad about it. Okay. Do I have to guess what terrible <laughs> film this is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's play that game. Okay, go for it. It's directed by Madonna. Uh-huh. It's about Wallace Simpson and King Edward. Uh-huh. I haven't got a lot more clues. It's called W.E. Okay. After Wallace Edward. Oh. It's a. No one has heard of this film. I have watched it several times. No one has heard of it. The reason I like it is because it is. Well, first of all, just to give you a bit of background, it's a take on the Wallace. No, we all know the story Edward of Wallace. And no, but it's it's from her perspective. Because we've all been watching The Crown. Okay. Oh, you know what? I hear what you say. In it, um, Madonna has a huge collection of late Edwardian Art Deco furniture. She used a lot of it in the filming of it. The, so we're basically watching her own furniture. The actors said that in certain scenes, especially the ones that are slightly more debauched where everyone's a bit drunk, they were petrified because they were <laughs> so scared of spilling something. So on this absolute, does she play I mean, Wallace? Is, no, no. M uh, Madonna is the director. She's not in it. Oh, interesting. Um, and But everyone was clearly absolutely scared shitless of her and in a way i think you can see that listen watch it watch it for the decor can i watch it for the decor i'm saying no more and the amazing poochie prints that um wallace wears when it's depicting her life later life can i just that's the end of what i'm saying tiny thing tiny thing before we before we move on because clearly we need to move on but like tiny thing there are two, two, so I'm interested in movie remakes. Um, and I'm interested in kind of the interpretation and stuff. Much Ado About Nothing. So the 1990, I think it's four version, uh, the Kenneth Branagh version, where it's entirely set on a single estate in Tuscany and you get immersed in this sun bath of joy. I don't think I've seen it. Oh my God. I have it on DVD. We will go downstairs and watch it right now. And then the Joss Whedon... We're having a double bill. Atonement and then much do it, nothing. 
and then the next version of Much Ado About Nothing, which is the Joss Whedon directed one, which is in his ha- which was directed in his house with all of his mates. Yeah. And so they filmed it. So he had some it was some sort of weird thing where um, after he'd finished filming the Avengers, the first Avengers, he had like a twelve week downtime thing, and he basically had all of his friends round to his house in L.A. And they did a modern day setting in black and white. Of Much Ado About Nothing. Of Much Ado About Nothing. And it's, if anybody's a Buffy fan, which I totally am, or a Firefly fan, which I also am, or a um, Angel fan, which I slightly less am because, you know, Team Spike forever. So what's amazing is, like, all of these people, all of these actors that you get to know through the kind of Joss Whedon genre, um, in a modern day setting of Much Ado About Nothing filmed at his house but in black and white in black and white and the incredible sun-baked in just the Tuscany one Tuscany one which the Kenneth Branagh the Kenneth Branagh which just so as a as a 13, 14 year old 14, 14 year old when that that came out that summer it was life changing for me when the Kenneth Branagh version came out it it fundamentally shaped my interest in going to Italy, my interest in kind of like all things European, um, the, the kind of the architecture of it as well. And the, and the, the scene where they so, go, you've been so affected by films. Um, you moved yeah, to well, New York. you know, so I was you moved to Europe. Yeah. I, I went to Tuscany on holiday. <laughs> no, it's true. I love movies. It's my thing. And we do, we all do. We get caught up in it. Now let's talk about something that we've been doing together. Yes. Oh my god, yes. Which is which is more TV together based. But separate. Yeah, yeah. Who hasn't heard of Marie Kondo? Time's no one. Up. Tell me if it brings you joy. She brings me joy. She she's she's <laughs> perfect. Rachel, uh, so we do designing together where we decide to do something together, but sometimes physically we can't be in the same place at the same time. So we decided we'd both been talking about this TV program, and we've talked about Marie in the past. Yes. Um, and the principles, if you for regular listeners, and when the show came onto Netflix, Netflix yeah, I'd been watching it, and, and I had Ra- not. Rachel was messaging me as she was watching it, and all <laughs> anything that Rachel messaged me and said, I just said, I love her. No, no, but I love her. She is my tiny tidying imp. I love her. And Duncan comes in and tries to say something. Sorry, Duncan is my husband. He may say, you know, what's going on? Why is there someone speaking Japanese on the TV? And I'm li- shushing him, even though there are subtitles. <laughs> Murray's speaking. Murray's speaking. And may I, yeah. may I start off by saying, yeah. this is a, a person of small stature and massive personality. She started off her business because she was a student and she realised there was a need for people to help declutter their homes in Japan. Hmm. She built, up, she built up a business of 200 consultants no. before she wrote her book. This is not a woman who just happened to be good at folding shit. She is very good She's at folding shit. She's phenomenal. At folding shit. And at running a business. And also this. thinking through the process. So the Conmarie process. So what I find interesting about this show, there's another show that I've watched also on Netflix, which um, I'll link to. Um, but basically, it's a Canadian woman going into people's houses who have all of the stuff. Yes, the hoarders. And then the they basically say, you need to put everything in a square, and eventually we'll, we'll go through everything, and then everything that you have is going to fit into this square, and you're going to get rid of 75%. 
Oh, so it's, it's very quantified. You very, need, very quantified. You need to reduce what you have by 75%. Absolutely. And yeah. so I watched this with kind of prurient interest. Um, it's really kind of addictive TV. Um, I mean, it all makes for great TV. Absolutely. And, and you know, the divorces and the kind of, you know, all this well, it's people stuff. literally airing their dirty laundry in public. Literally. Mm. Exactly. And then the Marie Kondo stuff, what I found really interesting, and I'm not all the way through the series, but... What I found really interesting was the kind of bit where, you know, the, the, so, so it was the Japanese-American couple. Who we both really who were adorable. With, didn't we? I, they were just, they were just so lovely. I love him. Do you notice how he came through the door slightly later? Hello. As if to go like, no, no, this isn't about me being here when she arrives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was adorable. Um, and at the end of that episode, they had way more stuff in the house than I think either of us was prepared for. Yeah, or, or would be comfortable, comfortable with. with. Even me, who is someone who's got quite a lot of stuff. You do. Yeah, that's true. She she loves things. Um, and yet, they were lighter. It was right for them. You could feel it, couldn't you? You could. It was tangible. And the thing that I, I was struck by, so watching the, the, the first one where they've got, they've got small children. I mean, my entire life is a battle against clutter. Of course it And is. my number one thing with kids and clutter is just don't buy the stuff in the first place just don't let it into your house but that's difficult with children because so many people gift things to you and that's fine i would say 90 percent of the things that my children own were gifted to them by people other than me for christmas this year my husband <laughs> saved i will post a photo of this because it's hilarious my husband saved up the boxes from our various meal kit and wine society deliveries and built them a geodesic dome den. It's, it's amazing. It is Which amazing. they insisted on sleeping in the other night. Literally it's cost great. us nothing. And I will recycle it at the end. Yes. Because nothing lasts when you've got three-year-olds. No. So, next month. Next month. Oh, next month. Very exciting. Month. Do you want to tell about this? Because... Okay. So, normally... Next month I will has nothing to do with what we will actually be talking about next month. But this month, this month is different. So the Design Museum in London is doing an exhibition on home design, which is also in partnership with the IKEA Foundation. We are very excited. We're going to go um, to see that exhibition. And then also we're going to be going to the new IKEA store in the centre of London on Tottenham Court Road, which is the the road, really. The road. In London for um, kind of homewares and interiors. Yeah. It's got heels, it's got habitat, it's got all sorts yeah. of things. Um, IKEA has just opened up a new store called IKEA Design. It's a new format for them. It's a small box format, moving on from their big box out of town centre stuff. We'll be taking a friend of mine with us who is in the process of redesigning her kitchen, which, as we all know, is my favourite room in the house. And so if you are interested in redesigning something, you're interested in Ikea, you're interested in design, please do listen, because we are going to be talking, we're going to be effectively doing a design consultation. How do you use a space? What drives for you? And therefore, what is a design solution? What are the things that you need to store? How do you feel about those things? Do they spark joy? Or just guilt? They bring you happiness. And on that note, thank you. This is Everyday Design. Everyday Design. Mm -hmm.